you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, turn to the book of Habakkuk. You may say Habakkuk. You may not. I don't know how you're supposed to say it, but uh, Habakkuk. Chapter number 2 this morning. Uh, uh, won't you stand with me as we uh, read the Word of God together? I'm going, to get in, I'm going to begin in verse number 1 of chapter 2 and read down to verse number 5 and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what He will say unto me and what I shall answer and I am reproved. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at an end, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also because he transgressed my, uh, by wine, he is a proud man, neither keeping at home, who enlarges his desires as hell, and his as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth in, unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, uh, thank you for your son this morning. Thank you for the hope we have in him. Thank you for the joy of salvation that David refers to. And that we've experienced, those of us here that, uh, uh, that have been saved this morning, how we've experienced it over this life you've given us. And Father, I just pray that you would use this time to encourage us this morning and speak to our hearts, challenge us, uh, and uh, to help us um, do as you have even said here, to live by our faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last uh, year I preached through the book of, in the summertime, the book of Jonah and the book of Habakkuk, and it was uh, interestingly and, and surprisingly a joy. It's one of those books, when you get in the Minor Prophets, I don't know if Josh here has went through all of them from beginning to end, didn't you, without break. It wears on you. Amen. You can tell him that now since it's been so long since he did that. Uh, maybe you should break those up. That's what I was telling myself. Because it is such a, a continual message, almost saying the same thing. Every minor prophet gets up, stands on his pulpit and says, oh, by the way, God's going to chasten Israel uh, and Judah uh, and Israel and Judah and Nineveh while you're at it and, and throw in Assyria and all these other nations along the way and and so it is a bit heavy, and I was quite surprised how uh, how people had actually responded to the message of Habakkuk and Jonah just uh, with uh, curiosity and joy, um, because it is God's word, and all of it is given to us for profit and reproof and rebuke and instruction and righteousness and those things like that. Even the minor prophets. I know it's hard to find them, and yet here we are this morning. As you know or may know, the book of Habakkuk is really uh, uh, an exchange between the prophet and God. 
He's working through some things and we get to join Him. As what we've read this morning, it isn't just about Habakkuk and, and what he's going through. It really is a message for all of us as you see the instruction in verse number 2 of chapter 2. But he's, he's dealing with sin in the world. Dealing with idolatry and, and wickedness of, of every kind in the nation. He is, he, is, he is overwhelmed with it. He is burdened by it. He is wondering why in the world God hasn't stepped in and, and gave a revival of sorts and brought us back that next great awakening. We could almost say this is very typical of your, uh, of your southern evangelical preacher, right? We're, we, we're sick of it and we're tired of it. Why hasn't God brought us another great awakening? Uh, and so he's dealing with this in his in his heart, in his quiet time, or his prayer time, whatever it may be, in chapter number one. And and he complains a little bit to God. Anyone ever done that? Honestly, well, we wonder about life. He asks. He begins his prayer, and we open it up. Verse number two. This is the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And there is a sense that not only did he see it. This is the burden that he felt. There's that idea, this is what I see when I look at the world around me. This is something that's weighing on him. So there's the, the, the initial statement of a burden as in the sense of this is the vision that God had given, this is the message. But it, but it also carries that tone of a burden itself. You know what that's like when you, you, uh, you carry your kids for a long way and you're like, you know, you got to walk. And they're like, no, I'm tired. And you're like, I'm tired too. Well, you get the idea of a burden. And so there is this kind of weight when it comes to what Habakkuk has saw. And he tells us this at the beginning in chapter number 1. He says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and will you not hear me? Or even cry out of the violence and you will not say. Why do you show me the iniquity? You see that, what he's saying. Why do I look around and see the world all broken and messed up? Especially to your people. It's supposed to be your people, your chosen people, and and yet the nation is covered with iniquity and, and you're causing me to look at it and, and I see it day in and day out. It's very familiar to us, isn't it? Very very easy to cross on over to modern day culture. Why in the world do we see the world the way it is? Almost if you turn this way you see it, you turn that way you see it, if you if you, you wherever you look you see the brokenness and the violence of the world that surrounds us. And so Habakkuk is just troubled by this. And he says, for, for violence are before me and they raise up strife and contention. Their law is slack and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceeds. He says, why in the world I see such a broken world? The good God. To do anything, and yet I see the world as it is. Why do I do that? Why do I see it the way it is? Well, the most striking thing about the book of Habakkuk is not Habakkuk's complaint, because you and I feel that complaint. Uh, it would be foolish to say we don't look around and see the news of abortion and say that is just insane to what we see that we're doing to babies. Well, we see... Uh, uh, marriage and, and sexuality and all those things being promoted in our society and there's a sickening by that. And, and in fact, I don't know if you're like me and and you just if you watch the news long enough, it's overwhelming. You just got to turn away from it because it is one of those things which kind of weigh us down. And and there's a cry within our own heart, like a backache. Why? Why? 
why can't it just be a revival and everything go back to the days when, when we were all Puritans or whatever we were? You know, I don't know. And yet God answers in the most peculiar manner. It is when you see the world broken, you think it's all upset and, 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 and I'm standing off not answering your prayers. He's basically saying, don't worry, I'm doing something. And by the way, when I tell you what it is, you won't believe it. Now we could stand back if we could just take ourselves back to night. 2019, I was about to say 1919, but too far back. But we could take our back, back last year and we could pray to God about all the evils of our society, all the evils of the world, and all the things. And, and, and you almost put yourself in that position if God says, I'm about to do something, and if I tell you, you wouldn't believe it. How many of you say, Amen, I, I agree? If you told me 2020 would be like it is, I would be like, You're, you're, you're crazy. You know, that's probably not a polite way of saying that, but it, it would be taking us back. We would we wouldn't believe it. And, and Habakkuk is saying, and God answering him says, "I'm about to do something in your days which you will not believe it, though I tell it to you." What was he going to do? He was going to raise up that wicked nation of the Chaldeans, Babylon, and they was going to come and they were going to punish and judge the nation of Israel. And you're right, Habakkuk simply says that in this, you're too pure to look on evil. How in the world do you want to judge this wicked nation or the worst wicked nation? It just doesn't make sense. And that lies the, the, the contention, or, or, or at least the issue, when we look at the providence of God in the world. When we pray, isn't it? And we pray for things, and we ask God to give us wisdom in certain areas, and we deal with life, and we ask God, how do I navigate in the world I am? Sometimes... He just doesn't tell us. Not the way we would like if He did tell us. We see that kind of contention. There's, there's several things here in chapter number 2 that I think are very encouraging uh, for us right now. At least encouraging to me. One, I love the honesty of Habakkuk. And, and I would pray, and I pray that Spirit for you this morning and that Spirit for me. Because as he's working through this, he there is this level of humility, this level of submissiveness to God. He he basically says he he replies back to God in his prayer and and he says, I will stand on my watch and and you can kind of see him on his little tower or his little place that he's at and and he says, I will stand upon the tower and I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. He's basically saying, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to wait for God to answer me and, and correct me and straighten me out because I need some more straightening out. There is a humility, at least a, a pliability when it comes to God or before God. You see, he is wrestling with those things we wrestle with and yet he still displays this, this eagerness, this willingness to, to submit to God. Then God answers in verse number 2. We'll look at verse number 2 through verse number 5. The first thing we see is God's sure word. Notice verse number 2, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. There is this, this idea that God is, is telling Habakkuk and trying to convey to him, how to wait in a world that's broken. How to wait for God to, to work or move or, or whatever the case may be. And in the, the midst of this, he, he gives him this, this great promise. I was um, 
thinking back in Deuteronomy chapter 29, where he says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of His law. And don't you find that verse comforting? God speaks. I mean, we don't have to grope around in the dark to figure out God wants. But I feel like the thing I want to know the most are the secret things that belong to Him. The thing that I struggle with, I guess, and pray and want to peer into is those things that He hasn't really conveyed to me. I think we struggle with that. Again, dealing with the providence of God and His work in our lives and in the world. We want to know the answers. How's it going to be in, in, in November? How's it going to be next year? How's it going to be uh, uh, whatever it might be? And, and we peer into them. Sometimes drives ourselves, you know, kind of you know, places we probably shouldn't go. But nevertheless, He has given us His Word. He has instructed us in how we're to live and respond in the world we live in. He hasn't told us everything, but He has told us something. But notice what He says here. He says, I want you to write it down, what I'm about to tell you, and I want you to make it plain. He says, what I'm about to say is meant to be understood. God has given us His Word in, in such a way to where we can understand it. He's not speaking in rhymes and reasons and He's not speaking in a way in which you know we, we can't grasp it. He spoke to Habakkuk. He spoke to the nation of Israel in a language where they can understand. Now, I know that we might not make much of that because we have so many Bibles in the English language, but there's something to be said about that, that when God speaks, when He is... Is communicated to us His Word and His will and and life and death and everything in between that He's communicated to us in such a way to where we're to comprehend it. It's as if in in, in many ways God has stepped down uh, out of eternity and wrote in crayon so we could kind of come along with Him and understand what's going on at least as much as we can. It's spoken to us in His Word. I know oftentimes we hear people when they talk about the Bible or uh, or whatever, it's just hard. You just can't get your mind around it. You're like, you should try reading it. And I know that's probably a simple answer, but but the problem has never been God has not spoken. Even in the Old Testament, it got prophets rise up, Habakkuk and all of his 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 brothers, and that that prophets rise up speak. It wasn't that they couldn't understand him; it was the fact that they didn't like what he had to say. The same thing with Jeremiah. We know the story of. It. God telling him to write this down in a scroll, and he writes it down, and he gives it to the king. It wasn't the fact that the king didn't, didn't understand what he said. He wrote in some foreign language where the king couldn't hear it. No, the king just didn't like it, so he kept it up and took it in the fire. There's something about this, uh, and I would say overarching, not just the message here in Habakkuk, but the overarching message of God and the Word of God and, and the Gospel that comes back to its simplicity. We know that even... Even in Paul's teaching, the gospel which he preached in 1 Corinthians 15 about the death or the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and ascension. The essential elements of the gospel. He says, I want you to make it plain. Make it plain. Don't you, uh, don't you like how sometimes we try to explain stuff and it gets more complicated? We try to explain salvation and you've made it so hard at the end you don't even know if you're saved. You know, you're trying to make sure you get through all the... But there is a simplicity in the Word of God. There's a simplicity for us to grasp. But not only does He say that uh, this message that He has given to Him, He wants uh, those, them to run with it. 
Now the expression he uses here in verse number 2 of make it plain upon tablets that he may run to read it, is really speaking about those who are to carry it out and preach it or proclaim it. He says in the book of Jeremiah, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Jeremiah 23, 21 and 22. So he's saying that, that not only do I want you to write this down, but I want it to be proclaimed. I want this to be shared. There's something we ought to be sharing, I think, in our day. And, and it ought to be this. It ought to be His Word. The plainness of it. The sharing of it. But not only does He say that, but He speaks to the surety of it. Notice again in verse number 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but the end it shall speak, and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come it will not carry. Now you know this morning that everything we believe, a good weight majority of it is still yet to come. What God has promised us, eternal life, we have that life the moment we believe. Jesus says that he that believeth in me and he will live, he shall never die. We possess that, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I believe that with all my heart. But there's a there's a wealth an overwhelming um, amount of the promises God gives us is still to come. Eternity, joy to the fullness in His presence, in, in the presence of God, and eternity for heaven, and, and peace, and, and all the things that He promises. We have a glimpse of that. We experience that in this life. God graces us with that. He gives us that, a taste of that. But but you imagine eternity and what it's like to be in the presence of God. All of that that we anticipate. A new heavens and a new earth. I was trying not to get on that too much depending on where you're at in that, your eschatology. But, but the removal of the curse. He says in Romans that the earth is groaning, waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. That, that we are kind of the first fruits of that new creation that Christ is doing. There's a fullness of it and we live this life and, and, and there is a need, I think, in my own heart. I don't know about you, but in my own heart, I have to, have to be reminded that, that His promises are true in Christ Jesus. Yes and yes, He says. There's a wealth ahead of us. And the poor, we even looked at that in Shane's funeral. It says it may tarry for a while. It may not be tomorrow or the next hour. We may go through another election. We, we might pray real hard the next few months come Lord Jesus. I don't know. And yet, because it doesn't mean it isn't true. That's what he's saying here. In, in referring to Habakkuk and giving this vision, and, and, and though you don't see it tomorrow or next week or next month, don't count it out. Don't don't say it's just not going to happen. It was just an off thing or or something happened that God couldn't carry His end of the deal. You know how it is. You make plans and and, and you you stick with those plans until something comes up. How I many of you ever been there? You're like, I meant to do that. And you make that phone call. I meant to be there, but something happened. You know, I had a flat tire or, or maybe that's the excuse you use and 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 you just couldn't make it. And, and God's not like that. He doesn't promise in those ways in those categories. 
In fact, what you see in Habakkuk chapter number 1 is really the sovereignty of God over the nation Israel and over their chastening. And you see the sovereignty of God over Babylon. And here you, you see this interwoven character in the fact that though it does not come in your timing, though it isn't the way you think it ought to be, don't worry. Nothing come up. And God is not preoccupied. He will still bring everything to its appointed end. We see that in the world, right? We see the, the frustration and, and things the way they are. And there's, there's a need to be reminded of His sovereignty. And yet there's, there's also a need to be reminded that He's working when we don't see it. And, and that His promises, the fullness of them, He will be faithful. What He says in Hebrews chapter number 6 is that He cannot lie. He, it's immutable. And changing promises of God in Titus where he says that, that a God who cannot lie. There's something significant about that, beloved, this morning that we have to be encouraged in because we are surrounded by liars. Right? Well-intentioned, good meaning, maybe, but they lie. Sometimes we excuse them. Sometimes we hold them to that. And yet he say, God is like something that you've never experienced. He is faithful. He is faithful. So he says to Habakkuk in, in response to this, and, and actually that verse number 2 and 3 is in response to, to the vision of Babylon and coming, and he's saying, trust me, it will come to pass just as I said when it comes to pass, and, and it will not tarry. And reminds us that the whole of God's Word is like that. His health and strength is always available in our time of need. The promises of His presence are always there, aren't they? In our time of need, He does not lie. And yet He goes on and says, not only does you see this sure word that He gives us in verse number 4, He shows us this kind of contrast between, let's call them two different people. We could say two different nations or, or two different kinds of nations, but yet He's, he's contrasting the Babylons, the, the Chaldeans, and and really I would say He's... he's He's challenging the kingdom of men. That kingdom you and I lived in in our lost state, right? This is typical of who we are and being described in verse 4, number 5, as he, he kind of conveys our, our mentality. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. He's, he's saying he's a proud man. You get that in Daniel, don't you? When, when Daniel has a dream and a dream, or. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this giant image with all these different kinds of metals. And, and then you know what the king does right after that. And he says, I don't really like that vision of five different metals. He's like, I just want it all gold. It was a defiance against God's vision, wasn't it? He makes this great statue, not of a gold head and all this other stuff to convey God's will. He says, no, my kingdom will stand. So he makes this gold statue and everyone bows down to it. And whatever. And that's the sinful heart. Isn't it? Living in autonomy from God and saying, I'll do whatever I want to do. I'll live my way. Take everything the way I, I want to take it or do whatever it might be. It is rebellion against God. It's the very heart of sin itself in one way. And he says, he says he's proud at heart. Lifted up. And it's not upright within him. Verse number 5. And, and he's transgressed by wine and he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, and enlarged his desires as hell. 
and his death and cannot be satisfied. He speaks of his greed and his insatiable appetite. When, when is it? Uh, when is it enough? When will he have conquered enough and killed enough and, and did all the things that he has done? And then the answer is never. Never. God is speaking about the wicked and he gives five woes. We'll mention here briefly and you can find these in the remainder of chapter number 2. And he speaks about the greed. Verse number 6, he speaks about this greed. They have plundered and they have uh, torn apart cities and they themselves will be plundered. Verse number 9, he speaks about the injustice. You build your places uh, off evil and wickedness and blood of others and you will be you will be plundered. It goes again in verse number 12. Woe to him that buildeth the town with blood and, and uh, established the city in iniquity. Behold, it is not the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for vanity, saying you build your city this way and, and yet you will do it for nothing. It's all vanity. You say, how would you like to build a city? And they name it after you. Let's call it Joshville. Or Squirrel Village, Jason Joe, whatever you want to call it. You build your little city and at the end of it you die and, and it dies with you. Nothing left. What he's saying, he's saying you built this unto yourselves. And he says, by the judgment of God, he will punish you. It will all be for vanity. Speaks about their seduction in verse number 15. Woe to him that give his neighbor to drink and put his uh, bottle to him and make him drunk and thou mayest look on their nakedness. You'll be shamed. Your glory will be turned to shame. Verse number 16 and verse number 19. 18 through 19. He speaks about their idolatry. He says that they... Uh, basically, verse 19, he says, you who say to the wood, awake and to the dumb stone, arise, it shall cease. Don't you like how that's worded? You can imagine that, right? You go outside and you cut a tree down. You, you make a really nice craving. I, I'm not crafty or, or gifted in that manner, but, but maybe you are and you do this and then you say, Arise, save me. That's what he says in Isaiah. It's, it's God's way of saying, that's just bad. <laughs> to put it mildly, this doesn't make any sense, Okay. <laughs> And yet God is saying that this is the judgment that awaits the wicked and the unrighteous. But in the midst of this, in the midst of this word, he, he says in verse number 4, something that carries on in Paul's theology at least two or three times in the New Testament. He makes this statement, while this is present. In other words, this is what the wicked will be doing. This is how they're living. God will judge. And and justice will come. And it is true in our day, we, we speak of justice and we speak of, uh, of all the things that, that we talk about. And ultimately, it is right to say God will ultimately come and bring justice to its fullness. Amen? At the return of Christ, He will come and do that. And yet in the midst of that, it says in verse number 4, that the just shall live by Him. Faith. Or the righteous, depending on what your translation says. Of the King James it says, "The just or the righteous shall live by faith." You know, this is the very grand theme of the Bible, isn't it? Faith in God, central to Paul's doctrine. 
Turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter number 32. Who is the righteous or who is the just being mentioned to here in Habakkuk chapter number 2 and verse number 4? Well, we could say, well, the just and the righteous will be those who are the descendants of Abraham, those who who are born of Isaac and Jacob or Israel, and that's who he's referring to, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. And, and yet it's hard to believe that because you see this kind of declaration in Habakkuk that's saying that, that it's more than that. It is the nation of Israel who's going to be punished and chastened by this other wicked nation who is just in Psalms 32 makes this statement at the end of the verse, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice ye righteous and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. I love the psalmist's way of, of calling us together to rejoice. Psalm 73 was one of my, one, is one of my favorite psalms. But who is he referring to? The just here. He begins this psalm in verse number 1, doesn't he? Blessed is he whose transgression is what? Let's try that again. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and whose spirit there is no guile. And the psalmist himself is one great confession, but he opens it up and he concludes it in putting those together that, that righteous or the just, the just are those who have been forgiven. That's who the just are. You see that in the New Testament in Paul as he refers to that in Romans, the just shall live by faith. And, and that righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith. It is those who have been granted righteousness from Him. Is what Paul says in the book of Romans. They're forgiven and been given a righteousness, as theologians have said, a righteousness not our own. The righteous are those who have been forgiven by God. Granted immunity and forgiveness. Those who are declared righteous as we come to understand Paul and his writing in the New Testament. Not because they themselves were so perfectly righteous. And that should rejoice. It should be a rejoicing point in our own hearts, but because Jesus was so righteous, right? So the righteous or the just or those not who are righteous or just in and of themselves, but who are declared righteous and just because Christ was righteous and just, because He was holy, perfect, and He obeyed the law and did all the things the Father has said Him to do. That's the Gospel message. Even, even back here, and that's what Paul comes to, to, to tell us as we get to the New Testament, that there is this faith, this, this understanding of what God has done for us. Those who have believed God from beginning to end. Abraham was counted righteousness before God, or right, or just before God, because he believed God. It's always been by faith that God has been pleased. It's always. But the book of Hebrews in chapter number 11 teaches, right? Believe or to please God, you must believe He is and reward of them who diligently seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible. You just cannot please God. 
He's not just talking about good people here in Habakkuk live by faith. He's talking about those people who have believed Him, put their faith and trust in Him. But it's more than just assent a to some kind of doctrine or understanding. He, it, it's more than just saying, yeah, I got this kind of Jewish, Jewish stuff down or Christian stuff down. Those who continue to believe Him. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to them in the opening in chapter number 1, he declares that, that he saw their faith or he remembers their, their faith before God and he calls it a work of faith. And the word simply means an occupation. And in, in verse number 3, I think it is, or 4, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, I saw your, your occupation of faith, your, your, your life being marked by your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and that is simply what we're being instructed here, that the righteous or, or the just, or we might say those who have been made righteous and just in Christ, shall go on living by their faith. So in the midst of this, you have the man over here uh, heaped up in all of his pride and his strength and his own glory. And that's what he's resting and trusting in. That sounds like the world we live in. That's what we value in America, right? How strong you are and how smart you are and how much money you have and all that other stuff. And, and he says the world will be living like this, but as it does, you, you live. The righteous live. You could say my children live. And go on living by your faith. I think that's a message that I need to be reminded of this morning, this week, and this time we live in, this year, that everybody wants to restart or start over some other, put another number at the end because we want to redo this one. But in the midst of all you're doing this, that's what he's saying. How do you live when you can't make sense of what's going on? How do you live when you pray and God hasn't immediately answered your prayers? How do you live when, when things are hard and difficult? How do you live when you find out that everything's crumbling? How do you do all of this? And, and God's answer to that to you and me this morning, as you go on living by your faith in Jesus Christ, go on living with your faith in God. You keep trusting Him. Resting in Him. Understanding that His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. Understanding that He doesn't always give us all the answers, but this life is a life of walking by faith and not necessarily always by sight. Go on living by your faith. Go on trusting God. Uh, an older preacher had said to me, it was kind of one of those things, and I've always struggled with preachers saying, <laughs> I don't know, I just felt like maybe it wasn't my mold or, or pattern or whatever it might be, but anyway, uh, an older preacher gave me one of those, and he says, just remember, when you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. It ought to be on a coffee cup. I mean, that's just really nice. <laughs> I just... And I know what he's saying, and I was just like, oh, it's sentimental, but there's some real truth to that, isn't there? You can't see what's going on in your world. The burdens you carry right now, whether it's what's going on in the world or in your family or, or your own sickness or whatever it may be that you're dealing with, your children, your grandchildren, when you can't see what's going on in the midst of that, the Word of God says, keep living by your faith. God has revealed enough simply and plainly enough in His Word to carry us. To give us the satisfaction that He has pleased. Keep trusting Him. Resting in Him. I think it's a message the church needs to hear today. I think it's a message I need to hear, maybe you need to hear this morning. How back you got it. 
Read with me at the end of chapter number 3. It says, at the end of the chapter, such an interesting book. He begins complaining. He ends with worshiping. God judges Israel, then he judges the Chaldeans, then he comes down and, and, and Habakkuk's trying to get with all this. And he says in verse number 17, he says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be of the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. And you ought to, and you almost think you ought to just stop right there and raise your head. That's bad. That's just poetic. I mean, that's a bad image. He's saying, though the nation be ravaged and it be completely left desolate. Now, I know you probably are looking at the, have looked at the next verse why I just said that, and you know what he says next, so it's not fair for me to ask you this. How would you conclude? How would you conclude? Your world will be turned upside down. And in this life, there's no promise of relief. Nothing ever gets put together the way you want to see it. There's never any conclusions. How many parents have went to their grave praying for their children who have never come to the Lord? And yet, years after that, God had saved them. But they never seen the closure. Carried the burdens all their life. How do you respond to those things? How do you live in those moments? That, that, that really has to bring us back to, to the reality of our theology. It's not meant to just enter, to, to, to be interwoven, to answer questions, but it's meant to guide how we respond to life, even tough stuff. When your brother dies, right? And, and you have to deal with that. It's young, my age, and I have to deal with that. What do you do? How do you answer that? And yet, have back to back in displays in his own very life and his response to the very words God told him that is the just shall live by his faith. Yes. The translation may say but or whatever it might have there in verse number 18. Yes. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. It's almost, uh, in some ways, if you're him, you would ask the question. He gives the answer. You didn't want to know it to begin with. You should ask something else. Because you didn't like it yet at the end. He brings us back to praise and worship. Why? Because God is good. He is faithful. And He strengthens us and sustains us and, and carries us along. He doesn't give us all the answers. He doesn't tell us everything that's going on. I, I understand in my own life so many things look better when I look back at it, right? Amen? Have you been that way? And yet as we see that, we're encouraged that we can face what we're going through now and, and in the days ahead and, and in society we can face it all by continuing to live by our faith because that marks us, not just the people of faith because it's nice to say we believe in some, because the object of our faith is in Jesus Christ. Because Paul would say in Romans chapter number 8 that if God would give His Son for us and die for our sins, how shall He not with Him, with Jesus, give us all things freely? And He goes into that great conclusion whether life or death or principalities of power. And all these things, nothing will separate us from what? 
the love of God. That doesn't mean we'll like everything that's going on in the world. That doesn't mean we like everything that's going on in our life, but it does mean in the midst, in the weight, and the heaviness of it, we can go with the psalmist, yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I can fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I can live this life. I'm called and encouraged. You're called and encouraged to live this life. Continue to live by your faith. Say W. Tozer, I think, who said, No people has ever risen above their view of God and has broke the knowledge of the Holy. What we believe and know about God is one of the most important things about us because it strengthens us. It strengthens us and helps us navigate this life. Now I'm going to conclude with this just because I'm going to let you work it out on your own. You leave here in this airtime. Josh can preach on it next week with Jason. Somewhere in the midst of this, he does give us a great word of encouragement. If you read verses 6 through 19, it's a pretty bleak picture. It's judgment. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And more woes. So verse number 14 is in the midst of it and he gives us a, a glimmer of hope. And even in the midst of judgment, there's a judgment on our nation. It's when you read much of what he says about Babylon, when you read much of what he says even in the Revelation about that great city, you know, there's an imagination I have and I kind of think, it's kind of like a lot like America, but that's just my thoughts. And, and, and there's some heaviness and overwhelmingness to that. You don't, right, Josh, and you'll work that out later. But verse number 14 is a great word of hope and encouragement. He says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Kingdom of man and in the world we live in is filled with violence, filled with hatred, filled with wickedness and iniquity. Romans chapter number one, not only do they do it, but they rejoice as they lead others into the same pit with them. It is an awful place in some ways we could say. Yet you see this great work God is doing amidst it all. One day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. You know, when God made Adam and Eve, we, we see that in the beginning He tells them to fill, go forth and fill the earth and, and, and be fruitful, multiply. Adam and Eve was supposed to fill the earth with image bearers of God. They were creating the image of God, right? And fill the earth with image bearers of God. Instead, they filled it with violence. Because of disobedience. And yet because of Christ and His obedience, because of His cross, death, and resurrection, He will fill the earth with image bearers of God and start to be me. And you know, while we live by faith, He's called us as the people of God to be a part of that mission, hasn't He? He's called us as a church. Not just to, to hang on with faith, that's true, that's what we do, but also to to go out and run with His Word, which is made clear and plain of, of His kingdom, of His hope, and of His life. And so, we're not only just living by faith in that sense and marking our life, but we're brought in to the very thing He is going to, to do in creation or in the new creation, the very climax, and that is to glorify His Son in that new creation by image bearers. People created in the image of His Son. So He says in John, right? 
We don't know what we will be like, but we know when we see him, we'll be like him. He will reflect his glory for eternity. And he's doing that right now. The people that he's saving, bringing out of the dark, saving out of the pride, iniquity, and idolatry. And he's inviting us not just to live this life by faith and trust God, but also to join with God and to spread the good news of the gospel, the light of the kingdom of God, and the glory to come. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us and what a what a grace it is to be gathered together with people of like-minded faith. Lord, we just pray, uh, Father, even now, so many things going on in our lives and our hearts. And Lord, we just pray you would help us. Help us as we, we are challenged on every side and in every turn to, to trust in ourselves and trust in the world and trust in the government and trust in agendas and all that other stuff. Help us to, to settle our faith and trust in you. Lord, we need wisdom to live that out. Not just, just plain statements, but God, we need wisdom and understanding how to live that day to day. Lord, I pray for those here this morning. Surely some here have burdens that they're carrying. How they need to be reminded that you are faithful. And you will carry them through this. And you will help them in the anticipation of your promises that still await us. Lord, I I pray that you would just encourage them even even now and help them to persevere in their walk of faith. And Lord, I pray for, for all of us, God, that you would just um, you would use this brief exhortation to help us not only to to persevere in this time, but also to uh, to be busy with what you've called us to do sharing the light of the kingdom of God and the knowledge of your Son over the face of the earth. Help us in that. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.